Very often, while the children were dying, I sat on their bellies and delighted in watching them die and laughed at them. That's Gilles de Ray. I know. That's icky. Listen, the hard thing about his quote was that there were so many to choose from Oh, that were horrendous. This is Jen. This is Becky. And this is Too Close to Home. Welcome. So Jill Zeray is our subject. So this is the beginning of a two-parter series. He, right offhand, doesn't sound like someone familiar, but it's his cohort at one time that really brings attention. He fought alongside Joan d'Arc. Oh. So, and he ended up being a huge child murderer. Adorable. <laughs> JK. 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 <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and list off my sauces. The Weird History Eerie Tales Podcast 5 episode arc in, uh, oh, it's a five episode arc. I put a space in there. Too many commas. Okay. <laughs> in January to February 2019, they didn't number theirs, but it was a damn good podcast. Uh, they have, I did not know that it was going to have this much, but they have transcripts from his actual trial. Oh, wow. So they actually talked did a lot of the quotes from those transcripts. And then the trial of Gilles Sarai, um, it was documents presented by George Bataille's, translated by Richard Robinson, because he was French. And good old Wikipedia. Oh, good old Wiki. <laughs> so let's start with the shitty beginnings. Gilles, um, and it's spelled G-I-L-L-E-S. I had a hard time, because sometimes I want to call him Gilles. Yeah, or that's Gilles. what I want to say. It's really a Gilles... Jill, Jill, <laughs> but I'm gonna just call him Jill's. <laughs> it's just easier. Cause fuck that, fuck him, fuck him. So fuck you get you. what you get. Okay? I'll fuck your name up. You kill people, I'll fuck it up. Babies at that. Babies at that. <laughs> he was born sometime in 1405. The precise date being unknown because nobody wanted to keep any fucking records of births and deaths. Apparently, nobody actually. Like it, you had to apply for a social security card when a kid's like four or something up to a certain point. Having them at birth is only within the last hundred years. Weird. Well, Super probably because infant survival rate wasn't yeah. real good. So they're like, I'm not wasting paperwork on this dead baby. <laughs> not wasting the social security <laughs> number on you. <laughs> We're going to go straight to the death certificate, okay? Yeah. We have one of those written up already. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's the time and age. Tuberculosis. <laughs> Scarlet fever. Spanish flu. <laughs> Yellow fever. <laughs> Smallpox. <laughs> Thanks for vaccines. He uh, was born in Champs-sur-Loire. Listen at you, Miss Frank. I know. I had to put it in phonetics. Do you boo-boo? <laughs> I'm impressed. They get me swoon a little over here. <laughs> I did take high school French. Oh. Two years worth, but I was a stoner in high school, so maybe six weeks tops. <laughs> I know how to mostly count and some different food options, as is something I would be interested in. <laughs> Let me tell you in French the number of baguettes I want. <laughs> <laughs> Un, deux, trois. <laughs> oh, I'm gluten-free. I can't have French oh, baguettes anymore. Well, you can order them for me when we go. <laughs> That's, oh, we're going to have to go back to Dean Coral's stomping ground for that one. <laughs> There's got to be a gluten-free bakery there. So this is where it gets kind of like Games of Thrones. He was born in a dark tower, and he said he was cursed by the black planet. Hmm. Like, 
some witchcraft and wizardry shit. His mother was directly descended from King Robert II, and he was born into a rich and high-class family with the ancestral connections to uh, royalty. <laughs> expecting something more than I'm starting that. off real strong today. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, another little Game of Thrones part, his father was gored by a boar, just like uh, King Robert, and, uh, in a hunting accident, and his mother died a bit afterwards, losing his positive influences, and he suddenly became super obsessed with death. Real dark, gloomy, emo, before emo was even a thought. I mean, what else was there to do back then? <laughs> I'll stare at the sky. Oh, I wish Mama was here. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't supposed to uh, go into his grandfather's care, but to a cousin his parents trusted. But uh, he ended up, since he was an orphan at the age of 10, he and his brother Rene became under the tutelage of his maternal grandfather, Jean de Cron. I say tutelage because children were often seen as objects to be profited from in that time. It was like, well, you're going to be working the fields or you're going to be taking over this dukedom or whatever they do over there. The children were much like the Menendez brothers. They were rich, fucking spoiled brats. They got to do whatever they wanted. Um, they were fucking terrors. And they, he saw it, specifically him, saw it intention by inflicting pain on servants without recompense. Because his grandfather just didn't give a fuck. His grandfather was only cared about his money. And that's the only reason he even got these children. He was like, oh, your parents died? Oh, it's a shame all that money's going to go to waste. I'll adopt you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the sole reason Gilles became so fucked up was Jean de Cron. Uh, his grandfather. He was just a terrible person all around, but he did uh, insist on military training for Gilles, and he had him spend hours training on jousting and knife fighting and arrows and stuff like that, and he was a fucking savage about it. He was all up to it. Every challenge, he was in it, you know, and he played dirty, but that's probably because that's the only time his grandfather ever gave him any, like, positive intention because, I mean, he didn't give a fuck otherwise about that kid. Once he was fighting a boy with swords and daggers, and he stuck the boy so hard he died instantly. Mm. He had no more remorse for that. So we're starting out as a serial killer, <laughs> basically. <laughs> he was very well-read and intelligent, and he could read and recite Latin by the age of seven. Wow. I know, I mean. Good, good yeah. on him getting that dead language. I still think it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. It is cool, but like... <laughs> Useless, but cool. <laughs> Decron, who was always about making more money, attempted to arrange a marriage for the then 12-year-old Gilles to one of the rich heiresses in Normandy. He failed at that, and he tried again to the niece of the Duke of Brittany, Beatrice de Brohan. Failed at that. And then finally, at age 17, he was able to get, grab that sugar mama. His fourth cousin, Catherine de Tours de Brittany, heiress of La Vendée and Poitou, making sure old Papa got his monies. <laughs> but it's like, you think, okay, maybe it's a Romeo and, Ju Romeo and Juliet thing, because he was 17, she was 15. No, they kidnapped this girl <laughs> and oh. then held her hostage because at the time, the church didn't recognize such a close union, like incest-wise, and uh, I'm really proud of them to be worried about young girls' sanctity. 
Yeah. Just how closely you're related. Doesn't matter. You're 15. So her family were refusing to accept this um, union. The Torreson family, which was her family, they sought to end the kidnapping by negotiating with the, with Jill's grandfather, but he locked the negotiators in the dungeons until their family accepted their terms. Jesus. <laughs> Sounds like a stay that man. Yeah. Oh, you don't like this decision? Go to jail. <laughs> so so is this wedding okay now? I can't hear you. Hmm? Hmm? Do you need a little bit longer in there? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so... Catherine's father died, and the church endorsed the union, which made them the owners of her family's fortune, too. So he's, like, balling out, right? His grandfather's got his kid's fucking fortune, got his granddaughter-in-law's fucking family's fortune. It's fucking greedy. They had only one child, Marie, born sometime between 1433-1434, and in the following years, Gilles just disregarded his wife and his only daughter. It believed that his little interest of Catherine was due to homosexual tendencies of the young man, although it should be noted there is no information to confirm that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why they had to specify that. (laughs) I mean, when you get to the crimes later, you're going to be like, (laughs) (laughs) being that he, his grandfather got him really into military training. He devoted his fortune and his sword to aiding King Charles VII which at the time was known as the Dauphin, and fighting against the English and the Burgundians and the Hundred Years' War. And it just like a little side note to what the Hundred Years' War, or that portion of the war was, is that the French and the Burgundians were actually French. Both of them were. And they were having like a civil war in the midst of the English coming at them too. So you have three people, two my fighting amongst each other and fighting that guy over there. And that's kind of where it boiled down to. So the Burgundians didn't recognize him as the king. So they would just call him the Dauphin. The English and French were fighting over who was the rightful heir to rule to France, with the English having the upper hand at the time uh, that Gilles began his rise to military fame. And from 1427 to 1435, he he served as a commander in the Royal Army, distinguishing himself for bravery on the battlefield during the renewal of the Hundred Years' War. The Siege of Orleans, infamous due to Joan of Arc's arrival on the scene, is when Gilles became infamous as he spot alongside her and turned the tide of Orleans to French victory. So, I did it again. So, <laughs> I didn't even notice because, you know, I'm a sewer too. <laughs> we just sew in all these things. On July 17th, 1429, he was one of four lo- lords chosen to honor the bringing of the Holy Ampulla, which is a anointed oil it holds it like it's a fancy little jar for oil for coronations and they were to take it to the abbey of saint remy of notre dame de reims for the consecration of king charles the seventh as king of france and on the same day he was created as marshal of france i don't know what that title that that involves but sounds i guess important since they created it for him so when i started you had to create it (laughs) Jimmy actually recommended this story because, I mean, I had kind of heard, but I didn't know. And further to add, I didn't really know that much about Joan of Arc. I know, like, there was the Mila Jovovich movie that came out when we were, like, oh, preteens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever watched it. I still haven't watched it. I just... I haven't either. Just, I'm I not just Catholic. She was I'm not super religious. Like so. a badass, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. 
spell so out and that for you. I had to go and research fucking Joan of Arc, which would left me to a whole other set of podcasts and shit. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, this is a lot. So I kind of condensed this down just to see. So it shows such a pivotal thing to his life. When Joan of Arc arrived on the scene, pretty much, everybody in the French army was like, Doing all the sinning, right? Drinking, having sex, not praying, doing all this other bullshit, you know. What was it, 2022? Yeah, no. <laughs> right, time travelers? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they were super, like, Viking-ish in a way. Living their best life. Yeah, living their best life. So it sounds like it YOLOing it all over the place. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> but uh, she was the whole nine. hyper-religious, and she actually reformed the whole army to become this religious army. We're doing this for the Lord. She was actually a peasant girl. And, and when people say peasant, she really wasn't a peasant. That was like the lowest man on totem pole. Her family were farmers, which were producers. So that's like upper lower class in that, in the feudal system. So she wasn't low, low. She's like middle class. But she was like, yeah, kind of like lower middle class. Okay. Yeah. So. Isn't that what a peasant is? Anything that's not royalty, basically? Uh, I don't know. I don't I, know. I'm just asking. I just always I think, assumed it meant anybody that wasn't royalty because they always refer to everybody as peasants in yeah. any movie I've watched. So I, just, I mean, I figured I like to I'd refer to peasant. people as peasants, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you You're right. I do call people peasants all the time. Because <laughs> we're queens. Uh, duh. <laughs> so she saw visions of our Angel Michael and the other biblical figures stating that King Charles VII was the true heir and king of France by divine right. So she ended up getting, like, convincing people to take her to meet him. So he hid in the room when she came to meet him and had somebody playing King Charles to see if this girl was, like, legit. And she looked at the fake guy, turned around and looked at him and went over to him and said, God said, you are to be king of France. And it impressed him so much, he was, like, fucking sold. Maybe she already knew what she looked like, bro. She was punking you. Right? <laughs> you feel right for it. <laughs> she was able to convince the Dauphin of her visions and that she was a true emissary of God. And she was also known as Joan the Virtuous, which means she was a virgin. And it always has to be about virginity. And I don't understand. But, the you know. Sex messes up it's, everything. It's, like, Have you ever Elizabeth seen? Bathory, even men fuck up your blood. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen that episode of Seinfeld where they make a pact not to have sex? And the guys get, like, really, really smart when they don't have sex. And they, they start going to art museums and reading all these books. And Ellen, the chick, becomes dumber and dumber and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> so she appeared at the Siege of Orleans and was able to help turn the tide to bridge victory. They were short on supplies and courage. And when she arrived with those items, it was like, a fuck, finally. And uh, people think about her as being, like, a fighter. Like, she was out there with a sword and, and armor. And while she was in armor and had a fucking sword... She was more a strategic fighter, she a uh, strategic advisor than a fighter. So she was out there telling, okay, you forage your battalion that way, and this one do this. She, at one point, was shot in her chest on the side with an arrow, and that bitch pulled that shit out. And she was like 17, I think, at the time, 17 or 18, pulled that shit out and kept fucking going. And everybody was like, look at that bad bitch! <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, let's go, we're gonna fuck these Burgundians and English up. Do it. And that's how that Good ended for up her, being Good because I'd have fallen out. Yeah, I would have been, like, been like, uh-uh. 
time out, time, time out. out. Yeah. <laughs> this was cute until this happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the Battle of St. Lou, though, however, the English were spared as they disguised themselves as priests. They fortified the Fort Augustine and they were um, unable to beat them. The French panicked and they left. They were like, fuck this. I'm out. Like, I know you pulled an arrow out of your chest, but how are you going to come over this? Gilles de Ray, which was her side, like, right-hand man, he jumps in, protects her until re- reinforcement and arrives. And that's kind of, like, the relationship with Joan. Like, he had such a ch- shitty childhood. He was focused about money, raised in a hateful environment, and then met Joan and turned his life to God. So he became ultra-religious <clears throat> ultra as well. So to him, like, he was 110% committed to Joan of Arc. He believed that she was for real getting these visions from fucking God and everything. She ended, she continued to fight in many campaigns with Gilles as her right-hand man, but eventually was captured by the Burgundians, who then sold her to the English because they needed money to fight the French. Uh, she was tried for heresy, for wearing men's clothes, but that actually started out of a more practical nature. She, When she begged to go meet the king, the, the Dauphin, they were like, well, we going in this road, you you definitely going to get raped. So you're going to need to dress like a man. So like she cut her hair, dressed like a man. And then, of course, she's going to fucking keep wearing them. Like, I love pants. Yes. They got fucking pockets. Exactly. <laughs> and I can lay any kind of way, do whatever I want. I'm not constantly. Exactly. Like a little lady. Cause Let's not. face it, we're not ladies. <laughs> <laughs> She was claiming to see biblical figures and receiving messages from God, but that was warped by the English to say that these were actually messages from the devil that she was misinterpreting. And she was actually illiterate. And a lot of her uh, paperwork from the trials at the time, she only signed an X. She couldn't even write her name. Wow. And so all these scholars would come at her with like very factual questions from the Bible, things that she kind of tripped her up because she obviously didn't fucking read the Bible because she can't fucking read. So they were like, this bitch is guilty. You hear her? She agree with me. She overhears. What does the Bible say about it, dude? What's the Bible say about it? <laughs> the king could have gotten her out of this, but he was like, mm, I already got my throne. It's cool. Everybody who was like fighting alongside her just abandoned her. So she went to this battle, like they went to this trial for heresy. They left her in a dungeon pretty much. They didn't treat her like a woman. They said, okay, if you start fucking wearing dresses, then we'll uh, stop treating you like a heretic. Well, she said, I'll wear dresses if you start fucking treating me better. So she started wearing dresses, and they still didn't treat her better. She's like, fuck this, I'm going back to pants. And that pretty much sealed her fate. They put her um, to the stake at a witch in May of 1431, which, fun fact... When people were burning witches at the stake, did you know they blow throw black cats in there? I did not know that. I didn't either. So they burned her at the stake in front of all these people. And then they took all her like ashes and bones and they threw it into the Seine River mm-hmm. because they were scared that people were going to use them as relics. Yes. Remember when I did the the Mary Worth, was mm-hmm. it the Mary Worth one? I learned that. That they you, they won't even keep ashes when they burn them. They would throw them into the water so people couldn't make relics and make potions or whatever the hell they think people did with it (laughs) and it did the opposite people did still get that like get things from the leftover whatever Mm -hmm. they didn't take um they did end up testing some of that stuff that has come through as relics like some of them were cat bones not her bones so what a bummer 
anyways, <laughs> you've carried this for centuries and DNA comes along and be like, mm, she's a dead cat. <laughs> Sorry, this is Tabby. <laughs> Bless her heart. Uh, I'm surprised at that time that they were able to get all the burn the bones to burn because it's got to be a pretty hot fire and all they had was logs and stuff back then. They didn't have oh, like, yeah. ladder fluid. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> she was so she was 19 years old when she was burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. Jill's, however, was still committed to her to the very end. He tried storming the castles that she was held hostage at. He killed a shit ton of of English, but still obviously didn't make it to her in time. That's his only good note. Yeah, that's it. That's that's where it stops because <laughs> it's going to get bad. And I know it gets bad in this episode, but it's going to get worse in the next one. But uh, as soon as she dies, he decides to just fucking abandon his military career. It's his whole reason for living. It's gone now. Joan's dead. You know, the English are winning. This is real fucked up. So. He didn't give a fuck. He deserted the the French army and the king stripped him of all his military titles. His grandfather died a year after Joan's death and he was so upset with Jill's like just saying fuck it that he left his armor and sword to Jill's younger brother René which was a huge insult at the time because these were like heirloom items. It's supposed to go to the firstborn son. Fuck you. You're terrible. Uh, Here you go (laughs) René. Like, I don't want your crusty shit anyway. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. And he still got an inheritance, and he started fucking balling out. He really got into theater, and he opened his castle to rando actors, artists, and writers. And he would foot the bill for these huge, luxurious parties full of wine and food and bitches and real, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, really throwing it down. Uh, he ended up creating a uh, play called The Siege of Orleans, and it was fucking terrible. But because he had so much money, everyone was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Awesome. <laughs> Can't wait to watch it again. <laughs> when he would come to town, he would force everyone to watch his performances. So pretty much like a gun to the head. You're going to watch my shit. Gag. But they did get paid because he would take helmets full of gold and throw it on the audience because he loved to see poor people grovel. So is that how we up our listeners? Do we, like, go force them to listen and just throw buckets of gold out? No, we had buckets of gold. (laughs) (laughs) And say it wasn't gold-wrapped chocolates. (laughs) Yeah. Here, oh, man, the first time we ever go on a tour, that's what we're going to do. We're throwing out gold fucking coin chocolates. Yes. Declared. (laughs) (laughs) On this day. (laughs) On this day. Jimmy, remind me later. (laughs) Uh, he had a group of, he had some groupies that would follow him to all his performances, like the Grateful Dead. Um, I want groupies. <laughs> Hit me up if you want to be our groupie. <laughs> yeah. We love We'll groupies. get a shirt to you. <laughs> so for 13 months, he stayed in Orleans, charging like crazy. Uh, it makes me think of that inventing Anna. I wired you the money. <laughs> <laughs> And he you bounces. Yeah. <laughs> he, he bounces on the bill and leaves everybody high and dry. And he keeps doing that town to town to town until he finally becomes bankrupt. When he becomes bankrupt and he's broke from his substantial fortune, which only took three years for him to lose, he would go through a period of extreme lows, staying alone for hours and brooding. He created a laboratory in the hopes of becoming rich again. Because, you know what? Hard work? Fuck it. Let's get a scientist in here. 
He used alchemists and wizards to no avail. Most were charlatans, and then he was swindled by many. He was just pretty much an easy, like, I'm going to get you some gold. I'm going to need 300 pounds of gold first, though. (laughs) How cool would it be for your job title to be wizard back then? Yeah. Um, I got my PhD in wizardry. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I just want to wear a pointy hat and walk around and (laughs) do weird shit, and people be like, oh. So impressive. So cool. <laughs> Just like throw out some like tinctures and stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> Mix a bunch of shit up and tell them it makes them look young again. <laughs> and for the Harry Potter fr- fans, he actually read the manuscripts by Nicholas Flamel, the creator of the Philosopher's Stone, hoping that he could also get gold that way. And he would watch over Occamus and Goldsmiths as failures happened over and over again. A woman at one point, who claimed to be Joan of Arc, appeared. She looked identical, but not as enthusiastic. And her reasoning was like, well, I've been in prison this whole time, so why would I be happy? Duh. I've had a hard time, okay? I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) She said that she escaped the flames from the English. Charles VII outed her as a half-sister of Joan, posing. Because at one point, King Charles went and was like, Joan, What's our secret word? And she was like, secret word? This is paraphrasing. None. I don't know. He pretty much was like saying, what's wink, our, wink. What's, I what's read our in the secret? transcripts. He went, wink, wink. Yeah. What's our secret word? What's our secret? And she was like, I don't fucking know. And he was like, fucking false. You ain't the real Joan. She would have known. <laughs> but the real question is, did they really have a secret handshake? No, it was like some kind of like a secret of something, just like a secret only her and Charles knew. But I, I would like to say that it's like a secret S and M word, like pineapple, <laughs> or you know, purple octopus, purple octopus, <laughs> like a secret pin code, <laughs> one two three four. <laughs> but you know, I don't know if it was just him and her. No, then how do we know if he was telling the truth that they really had a secret word? Oh, that's true, especially since he abandoned her. God damn, he's fucking so smart. Just saying. People are liars. I just burped. Sorry. <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> I was like, Jimmy said that this was really sensitive. And I was like, watch everybody hear me go. <laughs> Before it came out that she was false, Jills had used the little bit of money that he had left, sold everything and paid to get her an army. Because obviously if Joan was back, they were going to go back to war. Um, and then, of course, she found he found out that she wasn't really Joan. So that was kind of a bummer. He had his men destroy the French countryside after discovering that lie with that army. Because it's definitely the French countryside's fault. That's uh, I was just thinking. Um, misplaced anger? Yeah. <laughs> Louis, the future king, also known as the spider, moved in next door to Gilles. And it caused some panic as he had to hide all his alchemy and lab stuff because um, we would drop by unexpectedly. Because, you know, there are there have been people in our lives that have done that. Just like you you said he would have to hide all of his stuff. Yeah, because it was illegal. Oh, so it was like like his meth lab. He's like, yeah. Hold on. Definitely not make a drugs in here, guys. <laughs> I need all these batteries. Show it all under the this, counter real quick. This Robitussin. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. He told DeRay that he was not above the law and he would be watching him closely. 
he eventually discovered that he wasn't going to get gold the way of the alchemy thing. So he decided, let's get into black magic and the occult, man. A guy in white armor tricks DeRay into thinking he can speak with the devil. Because, you know, obviously he's trying to get in with the devil to get rich again. And he was swindled by him. <laughs> he keeps getting swindled left and right because he's like these. It's like, I imagine this is like those pyramid schemes today. Like, was this the sensi of the day? Keeps falling for all this tomfoolery. <laughs> all this tomfoolery. <laughs> Another sorcerer showed up and performed some satanic ceremony, which freaked the fuck out of DeRay, and he started reciting Christian prayers. And when that happened, the the sorcerer was like, get the fuck up out of the circle, though, if you're going to be doing religious shit. And DeRay jumps out the fucking window like, I'm out of here. It scared the shit out of him, but it did not dissuade him from keep going. He repeatedly sought out Satanists, and all of them were swindlers and crack, crack, oh, cracks, quacks. Crackheads? Probably crackheads. <laughs> crackheads before crackheads. He needed to speak to the devil, and why couldn't anybody get the devil for him? <laughs> Just go knock on his door. <laughs> Jesus. Right? Hey, devil, you there? He's here to meet the king. It's me, your boy, Jules. <laughs> work out a deal yeah. i need money <laughs> give me give me give me give me give me he meets francois prelati an italian priest and alchemist who was apparently super gorgeous and he wanted to be with deray as in like a consensual relationship and he was much more legit in his appearance than the others boy he, and boy relationship yeah okay yeah he was a lover of deray and a con artist, but like he fell in love with his prey, I guess, and was like, I can't dupe this guy. I like him. I like him. Eventually, he said that he would invoke a demon named Baron, which means beautiful, to be a go between for them and Satan. He's like, I can't get you Satan, but let me get my boy Baron over here. <laughs> he close. He's, he's like his cousin <laughs> twice removed. You know what I mean? <laughs> As no demon manifested after three tries, Gilles grew frustrated with the lack of results. And Prelati did say that he fought Baron because he didn't appear for Gilles. Like, bitch, why are you going to try to make me look bad? I told you. I told you I get you would get same for us. And you say here trifling. <laughs> I love this time period. Although I'm really glad I didn't live in it either. Holy shit, right? <laughs> Just the bath. The bath thing is like a no-go for me. I'm going to need my bath every day. Yeah, you should bathe in the river. <laughs> the same river everybody's shitting in. I hope they don't poop in the water. That's just bad manners. Bad manners. <laughs> there are plenty hear? of forests to shit in. <laughs> Charles, have you ever heard whenever you urinate in the river, it turns red? <laughs> and it's just bad manners. It's just bad manners. We drink from that motherfucker. <laughs> he said that uh, the reason why he had never appeared for DeRay was he had ignored three men that appeared to his castle and wouldn't help them. He said, also stated there was too many religious artifacts, which was like super cool in that day. Like everybody had a piece of somebody's body and was like, this belongs to Saint so-and-so. It's going to bring us some good luck, y'all. No. I'd be, I'd be so fucking lucky with all the dead shit I have. Yeah, true. <laughs> he said, uh, 
there's a piece of the crucifix of, from Jesus's death that he had a piece of that wood, and that was like the that's a no go for me, dog. Okay, first of all, it sounds like he got duped again. Yeah, <laughs> somebody brought a large splinter. <laughs> was like, yeah. I'll sell it to you for a bunch of. Let money. me tell you about this splinter right here, guys. <laughs> this is from the cross of Jesus. <laughs> it's like, Dips. <laughs> How much? I'll pay double. Yeah. <laughs> Perlotti said that Baron was angry and he required the offering of the parts of a child due to all these other reasons why he would not appear. And they say that he walked into the room and he had this vessel with the hands, heart, heart and eyes of a child. And surprise, Satan didn't appear. Shocking. It still wasn't enough. So they ended up burying the body outside the castle. And that's where all the murder begins. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And I found this like really cool uh, side note is that he was known as Bluebeard. And Bluebeard is actually kind of like a urban legend that's been around forever. And so I thought I'd end the episode with the legend of Bluebeard. Because we eventually DeRay does go on to kill upwards of 200 little boys that's it yeah oh that's it no biggie <laughs> no big deal but he was also super rich super handsome very popular so when they found out about all this stuff he became bluebeard and here's the story and that actually was a movie not long back and i can't remember the name of the horror movie but it was almost like this premise hmm. so the Legend of Bluebeard, the early, this is the early version of the earliest recorded version. Um, back up. T -t -t Today, Junior. I know, I'm <laughs> fucking it all up. <laughs> In the earliest recorded version of uh, Bluebeard, it, and the time frame for that is around 1697, Bluebeard is a wealthy and powerful nobleman who had been married several times to beautiful women, and all of them have mysteriously disappeared. When Bluebeard visits his neighbor and asks to marry one of his daughters, the girls are understandably terrified. After hosting a banquet, the youngest daughter decides to be his wife, and she goes to live with him in his rich and luxurious palace in the countryside, away from her family. He announces that he must leave the country, leave for the country, and gives the keys of the chateau to his wife. She is able to open any door in the house with them, each of which contains some of his riches, except for an underground chamber that he strictly forbids her for to enter lest she suffer his wrath. He goes away and leaves the house and the keys in her hand. She invites her sister Anne and her friends and cousins to come over for a party, you know, as one would do. However, she was overcome with the desire to see what the forbidden room holds, and she sneaks away from the party and ventures into the room. She immediately discovers the room is flooded with blood, and the murdered corpses of Bluebeard's former wives hanging on hooks from the wall. Mm, horrified. Up now. now she's going to be another hook with her on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Horrified, she drops the key in the blood. And then she picks it up and flees the room. And she tries to wash the blood off the key because that's obviously evidence. But the key is magical and the blood will not wash off. He unexpectedly returns and he finds the bloody key. And in a blind rage... He threatens to kill his wife right on the spot, but she asks for one last prayer with her sister Anne. Then, as Bluebeard is about to deliver the fatal blow, Anne and the wife's brothers, uh, they arrive and kill Bluebeard. 
the wife inherits his fortune and castle and has the dead wives buried. She uses the fortune to have her other siblings married and then remarries herself, finally moving on from her horrible experience with Bluebeard. Magical key. <laughs> All I'm thinking is, like, what I hear. Is that she was a black widow? She yeah. Killed her husband to get all his money, <laughs> and then moved her family in. Right? That's what my true crime mind she hears. Oprah Demi, you're getting married. You're getting married. <laughs> Everybody's getting married. Exactly. <laughs> and we get all this money. And she called her whole family over, and they all killed him together. And you know, the family that kills together stays, stays together. together. <laughs> and then they got all this money. I'm all I hear is, haven't black you seen widow. Texas Chainsaw Massacre? That was a tight knit family. So tight, it probably, the tree went straight up. Straight up. Straight on up. <laughs> I feel like that's what some of these old legends are. They're just like true crime that happened, but then, you know, a wizard told it, so it was just a magical fairy tale. Oh, yeah. It's like, obviously. This must have been one of those keys from Harry Potter. <laughs> right? <laughs> Only this or, one doesn't fly. It just loves blood. They murdered him while they were tripping on acid or poppy leaves, opiate or whatever. <laughs> And like, dude, I can't get the blood off the key. Oh my god, you guys see this? What are you talking about? <laughs> oh god, he's gonna we gotta kill him when he gets here because he's gonna know he's gonna see the blood on the key. <laughs> I'm fucked all the way up, guys. Oh my god. I'm so high. <laughs> That's all I took from that. That's but it. I enjoyed it. There's that part where it talks about the hooks, hanging the wives on the hooks. That's a similarity because he did like to hang his victims on hooks. Mm. So that's the end of part one. Spoiler alert. <laughs> part two is going to get really, really fucking creepy. So, and gross. So just put your... Can't wait. Put your uh, helmet on. Because it's going to be a toughie. And so, until then... Stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it so close to home that you hang all your wives on a hook. And then your family, you get murdered by your family. Yeah, just by... Just, Hire an alchemist. Get rich that way. Or a wizard. He's a wizard, Harry. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>